Bigger than Capes. Give me some outside. Hello, welcome to Bigger Than Capes. Uh, this is our September roundup. I'm Zach, and this week I'm joined by Angela and Will. How are you guys doing? Howdy. Hello. Okay. Yeah, very good. Thanks. How are you doing? I'm good. This is my first podcast in some weeks. Yes, some welcome time. back. Yes, to the podcasting <laughs> chair or whatever it's called. <laughs> I mean, because of some screw ups with the release schedule, it actually seems like I've only missed like one. But um, I know I've missed more than one. <laughs> it's also weird that our August roundup only came out like two weeks ago. So August that's fun. Was long, it was a longer this month though. Yeah. It was a six-week month um, yeah. in which every week Vault released Deadbox. Literally every single week and until eventually it came out yeah. mid-September. <laughs> yeah. That's why it took so long for that roundup to come out. We were waiting for Deadbox. We just wouldn't put it out. Um, This month, all the comics we're going to talk about did come out in September. Yes. I I think, I I hope at least. I mean, I I think we confidently say it did, and then deny ever having said that if we're wrong. Yeah, that sounds great to me. I think that's well within our wheelhouse of our kind of approach to reality right yeah just in general complete denial (laughs) wouldn't have it any other way um so have you guys been doing much you've been doing stuff things things my theme over the last couple of weeks is uh it's been banging the video games and that's not really changed much if i'm honest uh, there was a bit of a sale on the eShop on Nintendo Switch, so I picked up a few new ones. The highlight being Wargroove. Um, have either of you ever played anything like uh, Fire Emblem or Advance Wars or XCOM? Or yeah, yeah. It's that like grid-based strategy game. Really nice pixel art in a sort of fantasy setting. And uh, yeah, I can just stick my face into that for six solid hours. Sounds pretty good. Yeah, That's other nice. than that, just being forced to go to work apparently for a living this this capitalism (laughs) you know who needs it yeah um how about you angela you've been doing things i i was away this weekend with my nephews so i've spent most of the weekend just gone building lego because they're super into lego Oh, that's, that so, sounds terrible, you know. <laughs> I've just been spending the whole time building various, like, I know more about Lego City now. Because in my day, Lego City was just a loose concept. So you could get a police station and a fire station all the rest of it. No, now there's an entire canon and <laughs> mythology and characters and a series on Netflix. I think I have the, uh, I think it's a bookshop, mm. which is a part of the sort of, Mm. interconnecting streets i got one one bit of it gotta say i do i do love a good lego it's good as well like i now have a sort of adoptive niece and nephew or actually Catherine's niece nephew but they're the best versions of kids like you can go and play lego with them and then you know 
just leave them there and go home. Yeah. <laughs> fair. Yeah. Maximum fun, minimum responsibility. To be fair, you both strike me as people who are completely okay with just buying Lego and doing Lego on your own time as well. I mean, let's oh, be sure. honest, I have done, yeah. To my mother, my mother's like, did you not grow out of this 30 years ago? I'm like, nope. I, nope. My, my go-to thing with Lego was that when I was a kid, I was given this big wooden box full of Lego um, by like my second cousin or something and was basically told like, when you grow out of it, you pass it on to the next people in the family. Anyway, I'm 30 and I've still got this box of Lego. And <laughs> I figure, you know, at this point, let's just commit. I'm not getting rid of it. Yeah. I'm clearly not going to grow out of Lego. I'm still, every time I see it, I'm going to be like, let's build something, man. Yeah. Um, watch yourself some uh, Lego Masters Australia. Specifically Australia? No, yeah, I'd, sk- I'd skip over the UK one. It's. Uh, I've watched the UK one. It wasn't. I, I did, yeah, I saw the. UK. It's pretty low key. Like Australia, wind it up a bit. Um, okay. I haven't, I haven't seen the US one, but I assume that one they're building like working guns and that sort of thing. So that would be. <laughs> yeah, that'd be. That'd be good. But yes, yeah, I, I probably wouldn't bother with the UK one until it's like re uh, redesigned to match the more extreme Australian one, as we tend to do. Yeah, that is a thing. Yeah. The, first, the first UK season of anything, anything reality based, is always really tame and like English about it. And then it's always like, let's ham it up, let's get some special effects in, let's go nuts, let's, the let's make a storyline. Once we realise we haven't, like, we're not the first to do it, then we jump in with both feet. Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, it's it's always true. Weird. Um. I have done things. Um, what have I done? Horrible, horrible, horrible things. things. What, what yeah. are these things? I am. Um, so, since opening the bookshop, Volume 1 Comics. Um, the Hatch in Manchester. .co.uk. Um, I decided to, like, try and read a book a day to, like, just so I could, like, post about things and be like hey yeah you you want to know stuff i know the answers uh except that's madness have you ever tried to read a book every day like even comics that's hard yeah um i then completely gave up on that because it seemed ridiculous and decided to read um all four volumes of rebels remember rebels the dc series from like oh yes 12 years ago about brainiac's son brainiac 2 and his son, Brainiac Three. Three. Um, Will you? You seem you seem like you're unaware of the Brainiacs. I've not I've not heard of it, and as you describe it, it just sounds worse and worse. <laughs> do go on. <laughs> In a nutshell, Brainiac's son, Brainiac, um, heads up a kind of intergalactic police force for profit, so not like the Green Lanterns, um. And um, in around about 2009, 2010, everything went to shit when Starro invaded everywhere. And he basically, his police force of robots turn against him and he kind of rounds up a band of weirdos he was in a group with in the 90s called Rebels, uh, which stands for something like something, 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 something Legion. Um because his other group is legions, 
no, legions. Le- his other group is legion with like dots in between, and that stands for something else about law enforcement. I don't fucking know. Um, and basically goes on this tirade to try and stop Starro, where he has to make friends with everybody else who's you know getting wailed on by Starro's. And then we reveal that there's like Starro the Conqueror, who's this dude who like Starro tried to take over him and everyone on his planet, but they have this like connected psychic system. So everyone who dies, the consciousness just moves into somebody else until one guy is like more powerful than the Starro's and he takes over all the Starro's and he's feeding off of like everybody he enslaves to get like super, super powerful. And that takes like four volumes and um, I've had them for about 12 years and only just decided to sit down and read them. What I mostly heard there was <laughs> when DC require a new villain, they just duplicate it and go, well, we just got two more Brainiacs. There's definitely more Starros. Uh, we need something like the Green Lantern. Oh, yeah, we'll just do that. Just do that again. Um, yeah, I'll, ha- I'll have you know that despite being a dick, Brainiac 2 is a good guy, kind of. <laughs> is he an anti-hero? yeah. In, in the context of Rebels, he's a good guy. If you put him in any other storyline, he he's would be a villain. bad guy. There's also a great thing in like the first issue where we find out that some that Brainiac 5, I think, from the Legion of Superheroes in the future, has basically stored information in Supergirl's brain that she can then write to a CD using her laser vision so <laughs> that Brainiac 2 can get this information. And whilst incredibly fucking stupid, that's, that is good stuff, right? That, that is when, <laughs> Roughly, when was it written? About 2009. It amazes me that you get all these kind of like impossibly huge technological achievements such as robot armies and such. And yet they're still imprinting things onto disc. I mean, surely Brainiac can just wirelessly suck it out. You've got to send information back a thousand years in time. How are you going to do it other than storing it in Supergirl's head? I mean, that that bit bit I'm absolutely fine with. The kind of time travel of information works for me. It's the use of the CD. I mean, why why not a floppy disk? Why not just... Melt a vinyl. Laser vision, <laughs> if you did laser vision on a floppy disk, it'd just be no good. Yeah, just get a cassette tape and melt it into junk. No, that's fair. <laughs> it just it rankles me that a CD like that's. I just... guess. I guess it must have been cutting edge for two thousand. It wasn't. I know it wasn't. I was in. No, we I, were I there. Two thousand nine. We remember. I was already on uh, micro disc by then. Oh, you that failed platform. Oh, that yeah. failed so hard. I, I, had, I really, I bought into it hard as well. Like I was, I was sure hard. it was going to take off. I had a friend who was recording demos onto micro disc and mini disc in like 2010 because he'd got a job lot of them off eBay, and it seemed like a really good thing. But he couldn't share that information with anybody else. No, nobody else could play <laughs> the things that you owned. Yeah, um, they made MP3s like. A year later, and that yeah. was, that was yeah, the end of that. Then everyone had iPods, and that was the end of that chapter. <laughs> the, the the point here was meant to be that of the backlog of comics I have, I'm now reading 2009's comics, so I like to think I'll finish soon. <laughs> yeah, 
don't get me wrong. I'm by no means criticising you reading something which has no relevance to today because I do it constantly. Oh, we it's all always do. Always reading books from, yeah, just from from years years past that nobody cares about anymore, and yet, yeah, here I am. So Slight- yeah, not a criticism on that front. Just you, maybe your choice of book. Slightly more relevant. I did just finish reading the first volume of Reva, which was uh, Justin Jordan and Rebecca Isaac's like fantasy series, which is like. Oh, yeah fantasy suicide squad that's really good and more relevant to the that sounds world, cool so check yeah. that out um maybe we should do an episode on that because it was really good and yeah yeah um also uh been maybe. watching been watching lower decks and been watching final space and it's just just real good stuff guys that's final space is incredible stuff i am deeply hurt that it's been cancelled I've got about three episodes to go of this third season, and I've been like spacing them out so that I, pun intended, um, so that I can like get the maximum amount of final space. But really savor them. I think it's superb, and I would absolutely like petition them to just go to Kickstarter or something, even if it's just for a film to tie up the loose ends. I think there's a good enough fan base to to uh, keep that going. I've watched the first episode of the new series of Lower Decks and it seems as good as it was before. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Um stays good. I think I'm, I'm willing to go out on a limb and say it is the best Star Trek right now. I mean, what, it doesn't have a huge amount of competition. <laughs> competition of discovery that's not currently happening. And yeah. um, Picard, which I hate with a fiery vengeance. So. Oh, thank God someone else said it. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. I, I enjoyed Picard. Uh, I don't think wrong, I'm prepared but... to get into it now, but no. um, we'll do an ep- we'll do a specific episode on on why yeah. Will's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Will won't be invited to, to participate. But... <laughs> <laughs> um, and should we talk about comics? Do you reckon? Is that probably should? Yeah. Let's do it. Um. So, Will, I think you're lucky yeah. enough to be up first. Uh, hang on. Observe the list. No, no you're not. <laughs> Observe the list. <laughs> Sorry, Will. Just throw, <laughs> throwing you under the bus there. Thank you. Um, Angela, <laughs> I think you're unlucky today. enough to be up first. Well, yes, I am, Zach. Thank you very much. <laughs> so, um, the first book, what we is discussing, is Almost American, published by Aftershock. The writer is Ron Mars. The artist is Marco Castiello. The colorist is Flavio Dispenza. The letterer is Russ Wooten, who incidentally designed the main cover and logo. So, Almost American is a story about two Russian operatives who want to defect to the United States. That's the plot. That That's it. Um, so, we have Alexei and Victoria. Those are their Russian names. And they rock up um, at the embassy in Santa Dominica. Hang on. Santa Domingo. Santa Domingo, thank you. Um, and they basically say to the woman at the desk, who I think is above her pay grade for this, but they basically say to her, we need to speak to the CIA. Um, you know, we want to defect. Um, so she runs away and finds some people. And then they have various meetings with American um, official types such as Mr. Smith and Mrs. Jones um, 
and they meet various American operatives, and then they end up in America. There's not a lot to this. Um, it's that, That's it. I mean, it's, it feels very, very short. I think it's the shortest one for this month. It's like 20-odd pages. Um, yeah. And some of the end of the comic is taken up by the real-life story of an actual Russian defector, which sounds sadly far more interesting than the comic itself, um, because... Virtually nothing happens. They rock up. They say, we want to defect. They're like, you must have many meetings. They have many meetings. They end up getting seasick. They end up on a plane. They end up in the United States. And that's the setup. I don't know why they want to defect. I don't know what's happened. They talk about, you know, sort of being in the business from an early age and like Alexi's grandfather and father were involved and her family were all involved. But what happened to make them flee? Russia, because they say, we're never going to see our home again. Don't know why. Don't know what's happened. Don't know why they've turned on them. Don't know why they want to ref- defect. And it, yes, no, it's not. It's, it's. Uh, that's it, basically. I mean, there's nothing more to say. Um, it's very, very, not a lot to it. Yes, um, <laughs> I, I agree. I think my notes for this are purely. I guess, question mark. Um, yeah. I, I was really surprised. I kept expecting there to be like a, um, like a hook or a yeah. um, villains lurking in the ah. well, you know, or some sort. Like when they go and have coffee with Mr. Smith and Mrs. Jones, who, by the way, could not look more like American operatives if they tried. And you have that woman who keeps coming over about the coffee. And there's that little panel then when he's pouring sugar in the coffee. And I thought, oh, this is a plot point. Something's going to happen here. She's a spy or, you know, something's going to happen. with, the... And it didn't. No. It just did nothing. Um, I'm going to just ask the question, Will, do you, do you feel differently about? No. <laughs> I, I agree with your assessment. I think, for me, I'm not sure it's necessarily the hook that's missing, but any uh, emotional or interesting attachment to the two primary people. I think, as you said, Angela, th- there's no reason given as to why they're uh, sort of switching over. And I think the actual process of some spies... Um, crossing the wall if you will uh you know switching to to size would be an interesting enough story in its own right but i think it needs to be underpinned by some form of jeopardy or kind of emotional something but they're just they're just such hollow characters that all you find out about them is that they are exceedingly rich in russia and were from the sort of high society their families were always very pro state mm-hmm. and something's gone wrong um, does it say when this is set? I mean, you kind of two thousand and eight. Yeah, two thousand nine. Two thousand and eight. I'm not, like, not sure that quite lines up, does it? Because I'm thinking that there is a certain point in Russian history where the kind of oligarchs of old are overturned, but I don't. It's definitely not as late as two thousand and eight. So I'm not sure it's got anything to do with that. Um, I thought the art was like decent enough. It's quite nineties. I feel. Yeah. It's very, yeah, I thought, oh, this is a blast from the past style. The, the two like artists, Mark Silvestri ish. Yeah, the, weird. I, I went, I went Jim Lee and uh, mm-hmm. Lionel Francis Yu. Yeah. 
Yeah, but that kind of 90s mm. uh, image wildcat sort of thing. It's weird, right? It's Yeah. It feels if it, it makes it feel dated. Um I'm not sure it's necessarily a problem. Like it's not my favorite type of art, but actually the art did nothing to offend me in this book. No. Like, I think it was understandable and manageable. I mean, maybe that's made easy by the fact that the as you said the plot is kind of next to nothing the the time in the pages is just taken up from them going from one place to another in effect um like i think the script is decent enough it sounds like real people talking it doesn't sound stilted and weird mm. but yeah i just don't know what its purpose is and i think you, you i think you both mentioned that sort of lack of hook yeah um, uh, and i think uh, that's it I kept expecting there to be some kind of intercept during the traveling, the, the catamaran, yeah. the private jet. Yeah. There. I, I constantly expected page. something. Yeah. A final yeah. page of someone in, covered by shadow, making a phone call saying, I know where they are. Bang. At least you've got yourself a cliffhanger, but this just the only cliffhanger is they're in America. And it's raining. I and thought they were, I thought they were going to get off that. I thought because you had, they had, they were wearing like the DEA jackets. I thought, oh, that's like a subtle nod towards how terrible the DEA have been of late, and you know something like that. And then suddenly it's like, oh, maybe they're taking them on the plane. They're actually going to incarcerate them. That didn't happen either. I felt like that as well because the the um, the air host sort of says specifically, "You should be the first ones out, like after you." And I yeah. thought they're just going to walk into armed, you know, armed. Uh, police or whatever but i don't know um the actual core thing is fine but it just it just left me left me cold this one i'm afraid i'm gonna ask a question now and i'm curious to see um have either of you looked at what genre this is listed as on comicsology i should have done because i bought it just give me a second while I double Romantic check that. Comedy. <laughs> comedy. Comedy. I'm, I'm going to let you keep guessing because I think it's funnier if, if you guys just keep trying because. Thriller. You're not... Nope. Uh, horror? Action and adventure. No. Uh, romance. <laughs> Still no. Doesn't matter which one he says it. Uh, Sci fi western. <laughs> All right, I'm going to put you guys out of your misery. Go on. So it's listed on Comixology as supernatural slash occult. <laughs> Based on a true story, <laughs> supernatural occult. Mm-hmm. Where in the blue hell is this story going to go? I think that's, mm. yeah, that's maybe a part of it. Even if there was a hint at that, that might have generated that a bit be. more interest. But it, it's, none of it's there. I just... Perhaps it's just a kind of, uh, I don't know, editing or, or organisational thing. And I don't always expect to get a lot of story from 20-odd pages, but you, you just need a bit more than this. Yeah. Yeah. I think. Yeah, um, it is. I can tell you it is 21 pages. I'm okay. You know, like, I, I know page, page count can range from 20 to sometimes in the 30s on a first issue. Um, I'm okay with it being 20, 21 issue, uh, 21 pages, but so many of those pages, like I say, are just taken up with them 
traveling. I mean, there's one page which is just four four quarter panels of them going from vehicle to vehicle, and you think like it just when you've left so little story, that feels like wasted page. Yeah. A- any interest from either of you to come back for another issue, just because y- you know there's meant to be some kind of supernatural twist? <laughs> I can't say I'm not interested to find out what that supernatural twist is, just because yeah. it's going to come out of left field, isn't it? <laughs> I'm I'm assuming at some point there's going to be vampires. So I might check out the trade and just see if there's vampires. I have to ask, why vampires, Angela? What's... Well, I'm assuming that this is some sort of a metaphor to do with capitalism actually sucking the soul out of someone. So I'm assuming that that's, you know, a literal vampiric metaphor. That could oh, be good. All right. I can, yeah. I can see that. It sounds quite 2000 AD. <laughs> that, that's yeah. a trick they would pull. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, it, it hurt. or alternatively, well, they were very big in the nineties as well, weren't they? Like vampires and horror, that was a thing we had in the nineties. So, because it looks like a comic from the nineties, and <laughs> and reads well, it doesn't read like a comic from the nineties because there'd be more shooting and death involved and pouches. Yes, mm-hmm. but yeah, like just some this general theme. Okay, that's, um, mm. there we go. I'll check out the trade and see if I'm. Wrong. Um, this this is an interesting one. I just expected more, <laughs> and it, it's rare that I'm I'm kind of intrigued by how like straight this story has been. Like, mm. I I kind of need to know more because it's just told me nothing I didn't expect. Yeah, but the yeah. the interest is from an outward source. Like it, that none of it's in the book. No, yeah, yeah. The the supernatural mention is something that it, upon reading this issue, nah, I'm not getting that, and it's not making me think. Yeah, I need more. It's making me think. Okay, so just like a four, five, six issue story about two people just defecting to the US, settling down, and. Uh, I forgot to say it was created by Janos Janos Newman, who is the guy whose life story is being detailed at the back, which is the way more exciting than this book life story. I mean, you get I'm the assuming feeling, it's his story. Yeah, and the way it's paced out seems similar to uh, the main characters of the book. Um, but I don't remember again any vampires, ghosts, or. Otherwise, supernatural entity appearing in his life story. No, he mentions being cast in a television show that was shown in Russia. Ooh. Spooky. <laughs> Maybe it was a horror television show. Yeah, I think, I don't know, it's far from terrible. Like, I, I don't want to absolutely, like, trash this book. But there's a big part of it missing, and I think that's... Yeah. That's the props. Definitely. Yeah, I, no, I agree. Uh, should we move on to the, the, the next one? Yeah. yeah. Now now it's me. Stand back, everybody. Um, so uh, the book that I have is We Promised Utopia. Uh, it is from a publisher I've only heard of for the first time, Literati Press. Indeed it is. They call themselves. Now, there are more creators than characters in this book, so bear with me. Um, 
the way they've written them out is created by, written by, and illustrated by. I'm just going to read them all. Take it as wrote that these are all the creators involved. <laughs> There's Adrian Morales, Robert Holman, Charles J. Martin, John Eric Osborne, Chloe Ellerman, Jonathan Kolesh, and then also some editing by Chloe Harris, Steve Gooch, and Brian Book Berlin. Uh, there, there are others, but you can probably read it. Uh, this is a story seemingly told in three time frames of the rise and fall of a utopia built on a uh, currency system about the exchange of carbon. So tying in money to uh, the ecosystem and sort of forcing companies and individuals uh, into a sort of semi-fascistic utopia. Thanks. There aren't, as I said, there are quite a few characters, not many are named. Um, I have mixed feelings overall about this book. There are elements of it I quite like. Um, a bit like Almost American, I think it's just sort of something missing from the detail you provided that leaves it. There could have sounded questions, but they're not cliffhanger questions they're not they're not ones you're kind of uh, baying to have answered mm. they're just sim simply questions there's a few mm. design choices i like i think the fact that it's told in three time frames and each time frame has its own art is cool although some of the art i liked quite a bit more than some of the others so I get a bit of a mixed bag there what did you guys think it's the reality tv show art that you like the most isn't it where everything's kind of ready and orange nope Ooh. Well, Will's wrong, obviously. <laughs> is, it the, is it the blizzardy bit where a man just stabs a cougar in the chest? No, it's the, it's the hyper uh, hyper realised uh. utopia. Huh. Fair enough. Well, we're all coming at this from different angles. Um, <laughs> in, in answer to what I think was Will's question, um, yeah, I, I'm kind of similar to you. I've got questions about this that I, I would like to know more about, but in in kind of a just like, I, I want to know, but I don't know if I want to read them. Um, that sounds really harsh. Let me explain. I I think the three different stories being told at once is kind of a lot for a first issue. Um, I... I'm kind of into the futuristic utopia, but it's kind of not perfect thing into that. Uh, I'm into the kind of reality TV show carbon exchange idea. And I'm into the idea of, you know, man hunts saber-toothed tiger looking thing. Um, putting them all together kind of feels really jarring. Mm. And yeah. I had forgotten about the saber-toothed tiger fight and then it came back to that at the end, which doesn't seem like it makes sense. Um, so I don't know. I think there's just a lot to unpack and I'm not entirely sure I understand where this is going or how this is going there. Yeah, I think, I mean, once again, there's just a sort of vagary of detail in the web. What did you think, Angela? Where it, were you at? 
similar to Zach, I thought it was really jarring to have those three. See, my favourite bit, which is always going to be my favourite bit, is anyone hunting, you know, saber-toothed animals in the snow. I love a bit of that. Um, I, I, quite... I too enjoy Ice Age. <laughs> it's my favourite series of films <laughs> that are terrible. Um, so, yeah, I really liked that bit, and I'm glad we got back to it at the end. But then I was just annoyed that we'd spent so much time with other people who are nameless um the utopia bit was okay i'm never a big i like the idea of utopias falling i'm never a fan of the actual utopias because i think it's a you know utopia is what utopia does it's never really what it advertises is it utopia because otherwise they'd just go on forever uh the reality show is kind of cool um but also then I tended to get, because there's a bit of supplementary material about how the whole carbon exchange system works, and I tended to get caught up thinking, no, this is just not, this is just, because there's a whole lot of stuff about climate change going on and it feels like it's a comment on that. And the fact that people talk about neutralising carbon footprints, but you're not actually preventing the emissions in the first place, you're just planting lots of trees. Um you're not actually really helping or are you there's a huge debate and i just feel like trying to condense it into a little table in supplementary material as to what the actual concept of this carbon credit system is it's not enough detail as you said will <laughs> i i can't yeah part of me likes that it's there part of me thinks i'd rather have not known like if things yeah. are a vague sci-fi idea but I can understand yeah. the concept of it, then I'm absolutely fine with that. Like I don't, it doesn't even need to be remotely like physically true or possible, but as long as you kind of put a concept in front of me, uh, and I can buy into that. That's absolutely fine. I've got to be honest. Like I didn't, I barely understood a word of the, like <laughs> the stuff at the back. I'm pretty sure the word chicken is in there. I remember that. What, what, what I've but, learned is that we have to work out how carbon relates to chickens. Yeah from there were gold but the actual the, the base concept of an economy built around carbon exchange i think is a cool idea and i don't have a problem on trying to make comment on the current climate issue even if perhaps it's i don't know it's hard to tell off one issue whether it's been oversimplified or not if i'm being optimistic it might be quite an even-handed look at that idea where you know people are preaching the answers to ecological disaster and that those answers might also not be perfect so you know if i'm if i'm being um hopeful then that's what this could be is just an even-handed look at both sides of that argument um i i think the the game show idea is very cool in a way to introduce that as a concept to the wider public is make it a competition and idiots will do it and <laughs> uh, i'm assuming from the names involved this book probably isn't american uh also they dunk on americans fairly consistently throughout this <laughs> uh, it, it, mainly it, that the americans are really rubbish at the game because they, sort of they buy almonds. They buy almonds. Yeah. You don't want to be buying almonds. Why did you do that? Maybe it's American and they're just self-aware. Yeah. Perhaps so. If like, if so, bravo. <laughs> but, um, and yeah, so generally in the concept, I think is very cool. 
I think you're right. Like the the snow guy. I don't he know. He hunts a thing. He comes back to his family, and then they say, "We have to go." And I think he just says, "I know." And then that's it. And you think, well, from what to where? Why? Who's your wife? Who are your kids? <laughs> he wants to defect and, to America because reasons. <laughs> yeah, one book feeds into another. From a like design perspective, I like the little symbol at the top of each page that denotes what time period you're in. I think mm-hmm. that's just a nice little touch, a little bit of extra detail that I thought was good. I did. I quite like the art of the uh, kind of middle time frame, the game show time frame. I and knew it. <laughs> it just it was again it's one of those things about backgrounds for me where outside of the character pieces everything else is just kind of red and in outline and i don't know i kind of gets under my skin a little bit and with the snow guy i think it's like panel to panel there's a bit where he's fighting the saber tooth and it's right up against his face and that panel's really good mm. and then if you go like two pages earlier when he says cowards it's just really like scratchy and sketchy and i don't that's just not my kind of type of art so it's on a case-by-case basis for that particular bit i have to ask uh do you guys think that the snowy uh saber tooth hunting chap is before or after the utopia after's my guess i would say after and yet how has the world gone really really cold (laughs) Well, when it seems to be quite warm in the middle mm-hmm. bit, and then it goes really cold. Hmm. It, mainly because there's never been a time. I mean, I'm assuming that this is supposed to be up and up to a certain point, reflective of our own history. And uh, I don't think there's ever been an ice age when humans have been kicking about. So for oh, those yeah. reasons, what? Oh, there's been lots of ice ages where humans have, or human type people neanderthals were hanging about during the ice age oh fair play fair play i guess then people with satchels and spears yeah people with such <laughs> they had spears but they didn't language. dress they didn't dress like you know a guy he looks like a character from the ballet the nutcracker i'm gonna be honest that's where yeah. my mind went. That's, that's what he looks like yeah that's they didn't dress like that in the old ice age so yeah i think they may be trying to kind of hide the hide the twist there but no i'm pretty confident that's going to be yeah just uh having a flick back through it now i I hadn't realized that kind of right at the start we see him next to a spire that's like the top of a building buried in ice that's definitely reminiscent of some of the structures we see later on um there are lots of little things as well. Like, um, so Isabel Bari, who uh, I think we can presume from this is kind of the person who, well, we know she invented the equivalent exchange idea and we assume is the person who puts this all into, into play. Yeah. There's a bit where they talk about that. She's got like a, like a scar on her arm. Yeah. And it's yeah. Mentioned, mentioned and put down and like, there's nothing, not even a kind of hint at what it, might refer to yeah that's it just, true yeah there seem there seem a few kind of i don't know slightly lost opportunities to further a little bit of future interest that i can see you're going to go somewhere with this but at the moment you've given so little that 
Um, speaking of lost opportunities, there's also a point um, at the end where he's kind of going back to his family, the snowy man. Um, I hadn't realised there's a banner in the background for exotic pa- pets of the past. And the poster is Arva Sabre to a tiger. Um, oh, yeah. So oh, I guess that details. all ties together. Yeah. And it also immediately reminds me of, you know, in Lost when there's that polar bear strutting around and then like seasons later, they fa- you find out that there was a pen that the polar bears were in, in the community yeah. with the others. Wow. Yeah. That's just, uh, that was, the, that was the Lost Opportunities connection. That's... Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've, I've, noticed, I've noticed something else there because he walks in and there's clearly a child's drawing of a family. And there's him, and obviously the mother, and then three children. So obviously the mother is burying the third child. Seems, seems like it. Seems Indeed. possible. So there is, it might be the same as Almost American, that it's not necessarily one of a key detail, but just emotional one. I don't know any of these characters enough to care about where they are or what their plight is specifically. Mm. I like Snowy Man. Just because it's maybe right. Maybe because it's split into three parts rather than focusing maybe on one at a time. Or I don't. I don't know. I don't know how better to organise it. But perhaps it is that um, splitting it too much that you're not getting enough of each one. Lot. Yeah. Well, you get you get three of Snowy Man. Then you get five of Isabel and Company. Then you get five of the Utopia bit, then four of Isabel, two of the Utopia bit, and then two of Snowy Man. So it's not even like you're getting a good... I mean, I feel like in 20-odd pages you could even divide that up a bit better and just at least give us bigger chunks because two pages is pretty much nothing. Yeah, maybe so. Interestingly, the more we've talked about this and criticised it, and I, I agree with everything we've said, the more I am kind of thinking, I might, I might read this again. And <laughs> I'd I, read, I'm, yeah. I'm curious if there's more connections between the three narratives that I hadn't picked up on that first time, um, other than like the table to tiger connecting to itself and. Um, a little bit of mountain buried in snow. I'm kind of thinking that maybe I'm wrong and this is like really delicately constructed and we're just not getting that from one issue. That's incredibly yeah. possible. And as I say, I think the actual core concept of it I find very cool. And yeah, the fact that it's split into three periods I think is cool. I just don't think it's been put together as well as it maybe could have been. But yeah, I, I am intrigued by it. I think this could be a trade weight for me. Like I might see how it how it turns out in full. I, I agree. I think I, I might check this out when it's finished and we've got the full run. Um Yeah. I think I think at that point all the connections might reveal themselves to be quite well thought out. Potentially. Yeah. yeah for sure. Um I feel like if this had been given to us in uh uh like graphic novel or even like as some kind of weird three-story anthology. Yeah. I feel, like, I feel like me and Will would have been crazy into this. I think you would have been. Yeah. If yeah. you just told one at a time and they vaguely connected. Yeah. I think, yeah. Mm. But 
I don't know. I don't want to criticize people for being too ambitious necessarily. But like yeah. trying out something and maybe missing the mark, I think is applaudable more so than just, I don't know, paint by numbers kind of creation. Yeah. Yeah. So fair yeah. play to That's uh, Ambition yeah. good. Ambition good. Execution middling. Yeah. Speaking of execution. (laughs) (laughs) Segway. Not sure how I feel about that. Um, I'm going to be introducing Human Remains from Vault, uh, which was written by Peter Milligan, uh, art by Sally Cantrino, coloured by Dibla Kelly, and lettered by Andworld Design. Um, Human Remains. How to explain this? So... (laughs) In a nutshell, right? Always always a solid start. Yeah. Any kind of strong public display of emotion, you know, um, anger, fear, humour, whatever, uh, gonna get you killed by, like, interdimensional, potentially, uh, kind of skeleton... Space bronze. Yeah. <laughs> Skeletal space prawn insects things. So basically, if 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 you have too much of a good time, um, a, a, a tear in reality will appear, and you will be torn asunder by something. Mm-hmm. The the new death is that how they call it at some point? Then like the new death. Ah, the modern sound of death. The high-pitched screech, that whoosh of the air being rent, of something unspeakable being born, the arrested scream, the modern sound of death. And if that was, like, a review for, like, a death metal album, (laughs) wouldn't even question it. Um, I, I would really be, I think I'd be happy if any of my music was ever reviewed as the modern sound of death. Something to aim for. It's just an incredibly goth sentence, isn't it? It's very, very good. The modern sound of death, five stars. (laughs) (laughs) It is aspirational. Um, Yeah. Sorry, I've gotten really detached. (laughs) Basically, um, we're, we're this story is set in a world where that is kind of. The state of being is, yeah, you know, express any emotion, get killed. Um, we also see before that and kind of the arrival of that new status quo of reality. Um, the perspective jumps around a lot. We kind of see, um, I want to say like five different sets of protagonists, maybe, or three, three four, five. There's a few. Yeah. We get kind of the military side. We get... Uh, a young couple getting married. We get just kind of random stoppings in between as well. But I think the military and so it's General Sullivan and Professor Naresh Sharma we see properly. And then we also see Dax Martin and Bisa Williams who are getting married at the end. So we see, yeah. Um, I feel like there's a, a brief stint in the middle where we managed to get some kind of commentary on like um, current political things and COVID and 
uh, where they, they talk about, you know, people who denied that any of it's happening or that it was invented mm-hmm. by Elon Musk or, you know, just the um, conspiracy theorist wackos that we've got plenty of. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I feel like in a horror story, they've managed to try and touch on, like, things that we've probably all seen within the last year to connect to us, to speak to us a little bit. Um, I quite like this. It's, I think it's quite vague in, it feels like 22 pages, well, no, 20 20 pages of setup. I feel like we basically don't know who our protagonists are at this point. We don't know where this is going. We, We don't really know anything. Um, but I feel like there's potential. Yeah, it feels because I mean the other two haven't exactly they've been mainly set up, but I think the difference with this setup is there's emotion involved, <laughs> like there's characters who you can actually care about. In contrast to the other two, I mean we have actual named characters. I think this has the most named characters of any book that we're looking at this month week. Um, you you have that whole bit about um, the guy who just gets sick of the television and gets up and goes out and screams in the street and gets brutally killed for it. Um, and even that short little bit, it's like, that's relatable. Who hasn't wanted to do that? Admittedly, without the threat of death hanging over you. Um, but even he's just there. I think there's a bit more of Dax and... Bisa at the end, which makes sense because it sort of it becomes a bit their story towards the end. Yeah. But you see a bit of their relationship as well, which is nice. And then you've even got like the professor goes home to her son, and she's really worried about her son because her son has turned six now. And these th- there is some loose mythology to it that the space prawn skeletons don't attack the under fives, which again feels a bit like covid analogy um in that it spares the very young um and she's terrified now that he's old and she's like how do i get a child to do the you know even in that little bit there's emotion Mm. and relatability and all the rest of it which is something that we've not had really with the other two books and that's why even though this is really vague like where do these come from why are they doing this we don't know but that doesn't really matter per se because there's a hook an emotional hook I agree that I think this is a better sort of put together and constructed book than the other two we've read. Fortunately for me, it just suffers from the fact that I have no interest in like monster horror, really. And it reminded me kind of things like Gasolina and Fissure. Mm. Um, This seems to be on a much bigger scale, like the whole world is under this oppression. And I think it's kind of interesting that in some ways people are living with it. Um, it is something that I think I don't know where you go with this and that's quite promising I don't know how you fight this thing you know I don't know how and I think that's quite interesting assuming that uh, they go a cool direction with that answer Um, and I think all that's quite promising it just seemed the epitome of fine this to me like it just everything was like 
the art's pretty good. I think the art is the uh, type of art that I'd really love in a story that I loved. Yeah, I can get that. And just because the story hasn't grabbed me, and it's really, I don't think it's any fault of the book. This is just a purely my personal preference is that, yeah, just a, an unnamed and potentially kind of un uh, motivated villain as such. Mm potentially just like simply feeding on them that's what they eat and that's it's just a nature thing i don't know it just doesn't it just doesn't ring my bell at all so i think this is a i think this would be a good book just assuming that you you grab onto that central premise and if you do and it interests you then i can see the positives in this um but yeah sadly for me i I just i just came away from it thinking yeah it's fine it was fine just didn't push my buttons, I'm afraid. I see. Wow. <sighs> now, I, I can I can completely get that. It's um, I think it's a very specific part of the horror spectrum that's not for everybody. Um, I think it's fortuitous that it has kind of managed to touch on like recent events and kind of political stuff and for sure yeah um ideas I think the analogy that, works well yeah ideas that it's hard to represent in comics in a way that people are going to get on with um i agree with will that it's kind of hard to know where this could go and again i hate to keep saying the same thing but i feel like this could be Literally that first bit with uh, Joshua Moore getting torn apart in the street because he shouts, he's angry at his TV. Feels like that could have been in a horror anthology. Yeah. And that could be a full story. Um, Yeah. What scares me more than the premise is Peter Milligan. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yes. As a writer, he has written comics I have absolutely loved, um, like volumes one and two of britannia um or um ecstatics he's also written comics that i have really struggled to make sense of like uh, volume three of britannia <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so true so does true. it milligan who did the like latter part of shadow man as well the sort of volumes four and end game yes, yes. Yeah, yeah yeah they were bad so i, th- I think he, he has it in him to write really good comics yeah he also has it in him to write comics that are impossible to figure out or, yeah. or just don't really have a clue what their own premise is. And I don't particularly, you know, I, I'm not saying that's a Peter Milligan problem. It's pretty common with comics. I think people, it's pretty common with writers. I think people are inconsistent yeah. um, and it's hard to turn out two volumes of shadow man if you're not interested or a third volume of britannia if juan jose rips not coming back from the art and it doesn't feel worth it um <laughs> and, and with this i i, I kind of I, I like this first issue but i worry that like where does it go are you going to be able to keep this momentum up or is it going to be um i don't know lost at sea at the very yeah, least, I think that's a more interesting that. question in this book than it is in the others. 
like yes this could go one of one of two ways and while i agree with you angela about the there's much more emotion and character in in this book a lot of the character tension is um immediately put to one side when you know 98% of the characters are murdered at the wedding so all the thing about like her father not being sure whether she should marry this guy and the mum like oh yeah. don't worry about it and uh, Dax's dad clearly being an alcoholic and they a con they, man they yeah make it clear they've had problems in the past but he's invited him to his wedding perhaps try and reconcile and then they're all dead um, yeah so you think well problem solved right there's no no tension there anymore <laughs> it, it's kind of interesting because when I when you read the actual solicitation for this it's different to what I ex, what we actually got in terms of my expectations because I thought that we were gonna have a wedding because that's on the cover but yeah. I thought it was going to be more about well we love each other but we can't express it so how are we going to go about doing mm. that sort of thing because oh no the threat of evil skeleton space prawns um coming to get us and it i thought the struggle was gonna be more about how do you build a love story in that kind of environment i mean obviously that can continue because they've got married but i was kind of surprised that that was how it sort of ended was like massacre at the wedding when I was expecting it to be a bit different. Like it feels like that event takes place earlier in the timeline than some of the other stuff. I would agree. I think a lot of this we're seeing sort of through a previous lens to just catch us up to Mm. where the world's at. But I I agree. I think we're going to pick it up somewhere after that. And again, based on the front cover, I'm kind of assuming Dax and Bisa like are the main characters but we certainly don't know they survive (laughs) their wedding that is true Mm. um anyone anyone got anything else or should we let angela take us to our final book of the week just to because i've been a little bit more negative than you guys uh, both the coloring and the onomatopoeia is really good throughout this book that that is true. Yes. I think I think colouring art, lettering, all lettering in general, yeah, really consistent. All nice. Again, from like a construction point of view, it's really good. I don't think there's not like much in the way of really interesting panelling or things I, I like, like that. But that's the, okay. I, I quite like the panelling. Uh, there's one page at the wedding when everything kind of you know, when when business picks up, you get a kind of <laughs> lot of diag like slightly diagonal sliced up oh yeah actually that's that's no that's fair that is a very good a good page of paneling so maybe that was a harsh criticism but i don't remember a lot of there's come pretty standard paneling other than that but there's definitely a point in the wedding where after the cousin Jimmy, Jimmy from Jimmy. Chicago, cousin Jimmy from Chicago, um, is showing them, well, trying to show them his phone, and they'd be like, "Hey, man, the world's going crazy." Um, the the next page is then like the monster tearing through, and then the paneling kind of falls apart from there and gets really mismatched. Then you've got the slicey one I was talking about, and then 
yeah, the the paneling becomes more chaotic in keeping with the art. That's 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 a good thing. That's yeah. I mean, there's been many pages of blood and dismembered bodies before that, but mm, go. Love that go. <laughs> I don't know why I did that. Um. <laughs> you lovely, can tell lovely. I've been away. Um. <laughs> So, uh, speaking of gore... <laughs> there isn't any in this next book. Speaking of a lack of gore. Speaking of a lack of gore, or speaking of panelling, we'll get into that. Um, so, our last book is Primordial from Image. Um, reuniting the entire creative team from uh, Gideon Falls. Um, so, the writer is Jeff Lemire. The artist is Andrea Sorrentino. The colorist is Dave Stewart, and the lettering and design is by Steve Wands. The editor, for those of you who care, is Greg Lockhart. Um, so, it's uh, how to. I can explain this, but I'm going to have to give some historical background. Woo! Historical <laughs> Yay! background. Yay! History. So. You might remember that back during the Cold War, there was something called a space race where Russia and America were each trying to get those space firsts. So, you know, satellites, um, and then it was like living things in space. So Russia sent up Laika, who died in space, and the US sent up Abel and Baker, who were monkeys. Laika was a dog. Abel and Baker are monkeys. They go up into space and they they die. And then mysteriously in the universe of Primordial, the space race gets abandoned, which is very weird. Um, So we join Dr. Donald Pembroke, who is black, which is important for the plot story-wise, who has been sent in to basically clear out the old um, space area, you know, the, the, the files, all of that, everything to do with the space race. Um, and sort of from the American side, he's been sent in to go in, see what technology, uh, what usefulness that they can use. Um, the military are just there like, yeah, just find us the useful stuff and then all the rest we're just getting rid of. We're not going into space. That's the end of it. We're done. Um, and Dr. Pembroke discovers some mysterious readings to do with Abel and Baker, which suggests they may not have perished when the military said they did. Um, and so he is now going to investigate, or he's a scientist, so he wants to know, you know, what's going on. Um, and uh, toward the end, he meets a man in a hat, a black hat, and presumably a black suit, a man in black, if you will, who suggests that there is far more going on, that these animals didn't die in space, that they were taken. And there you are. So, yeah, it's basically an alternate take on the space race um and i really liked it (laughs) to the surprise of no one i mean to be fair we've been through this before jeff lemire can write stick figures on a paper bag and i'm there Uh, (laughs) i'll be giving him ideas right um but yeah so the art's really good it's very atmospheric there's some really clever stuff with the panels when we see the animals in space particularly and what happens to them 
I really like how you fact that when Dr. Pembroke sort of appears, the military guy who's in the room sort of thinks he's the cleaner because he's black. He like doesn't believe he's a scientist. I thought that was a nice subtle little dig at racism there. Mm. Um, and yeah, and once he starts investigating, then sort of the military shut him down. Um, so it's got like the classic sci-fi investigation aspect of it that I really enjoy. It's sort of drawing on actual historical events, which I always like, and it's just giving it a twist. So there's a there's a mystery, there's space. It's all good. There you go. I'm inclined to agree with Angela on a lot of that. I um, I think I got kind of like um, Man in the High Castle. Uh, 11, 22, 63 kind of vibes to this at times. Um, those are both good things. Um, I'm kind of curious as to where this is going to... I mean, I feel like it's going in a very specific kind of direction, but I'm curious as to see how it will get there. Yeah. W- William? Uh, yeah, I wish I had a different opinion for you, but I think this was was excellent. Um, again, I think the art, like uh, Andrea Sorrentino and Dave Stewart as a combination, are just lightning. Like we've switched yeah, between these so pretty low key uh, moments of um, I forgot his name, Doctor Pembroke, uh, going about his like investigative <laughs> investigation. <laughs> Nailed it. Not sure what I was going to end that with. And then these absolutely insane, like panel bending, sci fi space things intersected into the pages that just look absolutely incredible and warp the eye. I mean, there's one where. How do you even describe it? It's like a picture of a dog running into a sun, but also the dog's made of a billion cubes. And they're like, (laughs) (laughs) they're spreading into space independently. And one like mad double page spread of sort of the silhouette of a, of a monkey screaming with cables in the back of their heads. Yeah. Again, like dotted with these other smaller images. I'm a part of me expected to see a, uh, a barn floating about in, in one of those pages. Like maybe that's an indoctrination into uh, connected universes. I don't need it. I don't need this to connect to Gideon Falls, but because of the creative team, it looks so much like it that yeah. I kind of just expect there to be a priest in a barn at some point. <laughs> um, but I'm absolutely fine with that. Like it's it, it's a great combination. So I don't care that it looks the same as a different book they've made. It doesn't bother me the fact that it it feels like it's following a similar-ish mystery premise this one more based on a sci-fi bent than a horror one but they've kind of got that very mysterious uh premise uh, that you you really don't know what's going on i think the art does a lot of work in drawing me in compared to the other books i say this isn't massively detailed but it, nevertheless it shows you a bit about where it's going in such a absolutely intrigued to see what happens next and all you need is a jack russell in a vest saying hello yeah bang you've got me you there have my money jeff 
as always. You've done it again. Yeah. Oh, damn, he's done it again. Damn it. <laughs> what I also like is the fact that you have that, you have like really mundane panels of literally just like a phone and a guy on a phone. And yet it feels completely natural to be in the same book as the completely crazy space stuff. Yeah, definitely. Um, I just don't think there's any complaints to be made about the art, really. Um, no, none. No, it's it's incredible stuff. I, I think um, Sorrentino's art's really kind of really really stylized, and um, it's fortuitous that Lemire is the one writing mm-hmm. the stories because I think he's writing entirely with that in mind. I think that was that's true here. I think it was true in. Um, Gideon Falls, and I think it was true in um, Joker Killer Smile as well. I think it, it's keeping that style of art in mind when writing the book, so everything fits pretty much perfectly together. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think despite the fact that, I mean, I think uh, Dr. Pembroke does get a good bit of characterization. I think you're right, Angela, like his race, I think will be important in this story. And I think it will be referenced um, consistently, I would have thought. I do think it's interesting. You know, I didn't actually cross my mind until you mentioned it. This is set in 1961. Yeah. So when they're talking about canning the space race, I, I just sort of assumed that it would be post the moon landing. You know, it would be sort of as it was where we never completely canned it, but it'd be, drew back considerably after after 69 uh and yeah i didn't clock that so thank you well, well there's also there's also the bit which is interesting because there's a bit where um dr pembroke's looking at the television and it talks about president nixon and senator yeah. kennedy and of course in our timeline kennedy beat nixon um but obviously in this timeline nixon got his chance early um, yeah. And he's in there, and is that? I, I'd be interested to know if that's something that you know relates to this, or whether I don't feel like I feel like Lemire's too good to have just made that throwaway. Definitely, yeah. Um, I, I think it was one of those in, references that definitely makes it feel like um, it's not just the space race that's different; it's the fact yeah. that reality is different and. Um, I guess that's part of what put me on the like eleven twenty two sixty three high castles kind of thing, um, which is good. I, I I do like an alternative take on you know the reality we know. It's it's an interesting thing. Yeah, alternate history. Alternate history. And Jeff Lemire's alternate history is always bonkers. Oh god, yeah. 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 <laughs> so um, that's gonna be fun. I mean, I'm not I don't I don't think I'm saying this just because it's a Lemire book and we're all clearly Jeff Lemire fans. I just think it is good. It is good and it happens to be by Jeff Lemire. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. Um I, I think other people could have done this justice. I, I don't Definitely. think it's um I think it's a good premise. And also a Jeff Lemire book, not. I yes. don't think we're biased. Uh, no, we are biased. We but are I don't biased. Think... But your opinion is in the end, isn't it? Help me. <laughs> yeah, basically, it's it's a good book 
it's a good premise that has been done well by Jeff Lemire, but it's not a Jeff Lemire premise. No. I think not that's, that's fair to say. No one's crying. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But um, I think at times, if you take out a lot of the sci-fi stuff, it it could it looks and reads a little bit like a Brubaker Phillips. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, I think it it touches into different areas. Uh, as you say, I think there are other people who feasibly could have done this, but I think Sorrentino. Sorry, Jeff. More more than Jeff Lemire is the draw for me here. Okay. I think this, the story is intriguing, but the art I could I could just look at and re re look at it does, for ages. It, and I mean, it does that thing where there are pages that are just the art. There's no there's no diet. The the art does as much work as any words could hope to do. Yeah, yeah. on something like the twenty sixth or seventh page, there's a bit where the, the monkey's head is being rebuilt cube by cube, and it's really like detailed. Uh, almost Frank Quietly, very inked, like image of these monkeys' eyes. And I think just the art goes from completely different strength to strength, from being almost lineless and quite watercolored in the in Doctor Pembroke's kind of perspective. I think it's great. I think it's a bit of a masterclass of of you the use of different art and but making it feel just continuous and together and good good <laughs> good jeff yes yeah um so in conclusion writing good art good premise good coloring good lettering do all good. Of those things lettering good agreed editing presumably good yeah all good. Yeah. What's the dog doing? <laughs> um, anyone else? Two point thing. Did, how long did it take anyone else to realise that the dog is on the front cover? I'm I'm, I'm discovering that you all learnt that now. Uh, yeah, I was. I was, I I was, was this this many years old. years old. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, I can see now. It's just because she's like in the middle of a monkey. It's difficult to. <laughs> <laughs> you don't also, expect to see that. Also, there there is a panel where we definitely see that Donald has a cat, but we do not yes. see enough of the cat. And this. No. <laughs> this is no, important. Well, well, it's a black cat as well. Just to, you know, the cat just lurks. As like cats the, often do. Yeah, like the truth. <laughs> yeah, definitely a space cat. Maybe all animals are space animals. <laughs> that would explain a lot. It would. Definitely would. <laughs> so I, I guess we're moving towards that bit where we do our like selection of the stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, anyone want to go first? I, I know what's going to happen. I know exactly what's going to happen. So it's yeah. I don't think there's going to be a big range of of uh, no. different choices here. I'll rattle mine straight off then. Um, almost American as my number four. Uh, Human remains as my number three. I think it's a bit better constructed than Almost American, but both of them left me feeling uh, 
not not particularly interested in going any further. I think We Promised Utopia has a couple of issues, but the core premise is a bit more interesting. Um, and there is at least a little bit of interest to see where that arc goes. And of course, finally, Primordial, the best book. Yeah. All right. <laughs> yes. There it is. I, I guess I can go next unless you particularly want to, Angela. I mean, I, I'm whatever. <laughs> I'm, no surprises with my list. So, so, so I'm I'm gonna go um, reverse order as Will did. Um, almost American. It. I, I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I I completely and utterly get it, but I don't get what it's getting at. I don't get you where get it's it, going. You don't get it. Yeah, right. I just. <laughs> Am I right? Where is this book going? This. What's it about? I I almost feel like the problem is it's so about what it said it's about that it begs the question: then why? <laughs> if not, um, then why? Yeah. Um, <laughs> three. I'm, I'm going to go. Uh, we promised Utopia. I am going to reread it. I am optimistic that as a trade, it will be a interesting read and a, a kind of different sci-fi thing. Um, I think it's going to go in some directions that we might not anticipate and. I'm interested to see how the three stories do connect, if it can be done in a well-constructed way rather than just being three things that are all happening, which is how it felt a little bit in this issue. Second, I'm going to go Human Remains. Um, I really like this first issue. It kind of intrigues me as to how they can resolve this, you know, cosmic horror type story and um i guess i'm just curious as to what peter milligan will do when he's not working for valiant or marvel because i think everything i've read by him has been either marvel or valiant so possibly some d i've read some of his dc as well i think um i can't remember what shade was that shade of the changing man peter milligan Let's pretend it is, and it's not. We'll put it here. Where's Matt when you need him? Yeah, no. Where, um, where is the fucking Um, um. So yeah, I, I'm I'm curious as to see where where he will go, how he will go, and indeed if he will go. Um, I don't know what that meant. Uh, <laughs> oh man, that was a weird sentence. Um, finally, perhaps. In first place, fourth place, whatever. Uh, Peter Milligan did write "Shade to the Changing Man." Um, everyone, go back, go back the business. Thank you, Comicsology. <laughs> um, and you know, the the best book is, is Primordial. Will is correct. A sentence you know, he never gets tired of hearing. No. Um, art good, words good, editing good, coloring good, lettering good. Publishing goods. Um, re- really looking forward to seeing what they've got in store. Concur. Yeah. 
Angela? Angela, right. you're going to surprise us all. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, fourth place, American. primordial. No, no. Rubbish. no. Uh, fourth place is almost American because it exists. That's all I can say about that. There's nothing to it. There's no. Where's the hook? Where's the plot? I mean, there is a plot, but it's a paper thin plot. It's a, you know, it's tracing paper thin plot. Um, you can see right through it, and I don't like what's on the other side currently. So <laughs> I'm following. <laughs> that's that's almost American. Um, if there was vampires in it, maybe I'll feel differently. Um, in second place, no, third, third place. I can't do I can't do numbers. In third place is We Promised Utopia. I like you know saber cat killing guy in his little frozen wilderness, but I was just too confused by it. It just it confused me and baffled me. Um, and also, I never knew that almonds cost that much carbon. Um, but yeah, it just didn't it didn't hook me in. Um, in second place, human remains, because at least there was some emotion and characters I could get vaguely attached to, even as they died horrible, horrible, gory deaths. Um, like Zach, I'm interested to see what Peter Milligan does because his back catalogue is spotty. Um, when he's good, he's very good, and when he's bad, he's near unreadable. So let's find out which is that going to be. Um, so yeah, human remains, and then first is primordial because it was all the good things. It was good writing and arting and colouring and lettering. To be fair, the lettering in all the books is very good. Um, the lettering is the high point, certainly of almost American, <laughs> um, and also for me, it's also the high point of We Promise Utopia. Um, so yeah, lettering good, but yeah, primordial. It's just leagues ahead of the other three. Um, I mean, it, it's like almost American. Why did you even turn up? Um, but yeah, that's that's my ranking. Harsh. Harsh. Uh, <laughs> th- that rare thing where me and Angela agree, right? You know. I know. Who'd have thought? Who'd have thought? <laughs> and almost what all three of us agree. So that's... Well, we, we were pretty close this week. I'm surprised with this. Yeah. Almost. If Matt were here, he'd have had... Um, uh, no, let's be frank, probably the same opinion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like it's unlikely Matt would have had a wildly different opinion, but... Matt's yeah. and my opinion tend to uh, tend to sometimes fall quite neatly in line, so I'm sure yeah. I'm sure we wouldn't have been bold. Yeah. But... And he has agreed with me once. So... Ooh. Yeah, I remember that. Did yeah, I remember all, them. We had a week where we were all in agreement, right? We did, yeah. Did. I can't remember what day it was. I did I did feel like I should make a note and mark it down to the historical <laughs> record and, and failed on that one. Yeah, we should commemorate it. We'll get like bigger than capes agreed tea towels or something. <laughs> <laughs> on this day. What the people want. So I think that is our final thoughts for this week. That's kind of yeah our, our epic conclusion. So for this week, we have been Angela, Will, and Zach, collectively bigger than Capes, and will continue to be. 
And remember that comics are bigger, bigger than, than cakes. cakes.